Okay, Britain. Britain on the pod. <laughs> what up? We're just gonna laugh this whole time. I know. It's fine. Uh, hi. I'm hi. Here. Oh my god. I'm excited to have you. <laughs> so Britain and I have known each other for 13 years now. Um oh. we yeah. We went to school together at Iowa Western Community College. Go Reavers. <laughs> Reavers. Uh, yeah. Uh, in 2010 and cheered together and uh, became friends. <laughs> There's a story that we won't tell. Um, <laughs> we, maybe now we have to tell it because now it sounds like we have some <laughs> beef. I was thinking the opposite, that we got too friendly. Oh. <laughs> we became friends. We became friends with the winks. <laughs> I guess they can't see the wink. You did. Um, okay, I'll tell it. And then if we... I was 18. I was 18 and probably drunk. You weren't drunk. It was in the, mor- it was in the morning. <laughs> I hope You might have been drunk, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> So I'm from Olathe. <laughs> I live in Olathe now, by the way. <laughs> Britain uh, was from Britain grew up in Overland Park, went to Blue Valley Northwest. And um apparently I came off a certain way when we first met. And so she told, I think your cousin, Alyssa, she's like <laughs> something like, I don't know who that Morgan girl thinks she is. She is from the ghetto of Lincoln <laughs> County. <laughs> Okay, every time you tell this story, you change it. No. <laughs> okay, how do you think it? What do you think you said? I probably said something like, oh, she's from O-Town. That's the ghetto of Johnson County. That would have what I would have said. But I would have never go, oh, that Morgan girl. <laughs> okay, well, whatever. You- it's so bad, and I don't believe that. Now, I was just an immature 18-year-old. Oh, we were horrible. I- with no, no life experience yet. So please take, take that as a great assault. Um, yeah, I mean, so as you know, Britain, this morning I was looking, I was going down a rabbit hole of, of old pictures of Britain and I. And when you go back 13 years, it gets scary. And <laughs> the hair was very blonde, very um, teased. And the part was like um, at my ear, basically. It was like a fucking comb over and the makeup was pretty intense Brittany I mean you look you looked pretty normal you didn't look like you were trying as hard as I was I was the opposite because that was Jersey Shore era so I had like black hair tanned every single day orange mm. skin um but yeah the teas teas in the hair you know the bumpets I I never wore a bumpet but when I worked at Texas Roadhouse in my senior year of high school and freshman year of college like in the summers people called me bumpet because my hair was teased so big but I never wore one (laughs) that just means you could do it naturally and we were all so jealous of you that pissed me off though I was like I don't wear a bumpet okay because they were on they were on infomercials right like you remember yeah. seeing the bumpet infomercials yeah. and I thought they were so embarrassing I was like I don't wear a bumpet but now it's just embarrassing is how big my tease was oh <laughs> 2010 rough times yeah it's coming back no circle no 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 that's not happening you wait it's next 
But um, anyway, so we got off on a rough start, but then became really good friends. <laughs> Britain um, came to love me. And 13 years later, we're still going strong. I only stayed at Iowa Western for one semester. And so, I know. So only had like four, three or four months with this group of girls who became friends. And then we have remained friends for 13 years. Um which I feel like is pretty unlikely. I felt like you were there a lot longer than that. So that is weird. Well, we always made an effort. We, we've always made an effort from the beginning to like get together. And you guys would come see me at K-State. <laughs> Found some big Patty's photos when oh. I was going through my photos. Those were really embarrassing too. And so like every, it seemed like every summer for sure. And then over breaks and stuff, we always made an effort and then once you start hitting like birthday milestones, we had 21st birthdays and then <laughs> my wedding and then your wedding and then 30th birthdays. So we've done a really good job. <laughs> yeah, we definitely are a group that if there's a reason for us to get together and celebrate and have a few cocktails, we will do it. So you just <laughs> like one or two together, just like one or two, just one or two Very classy, just <laughs> Never doing karaoke, no. never having um, the Coast Guard the US Coast aboard Guard. Our, <laughs> our yacht, never, you know, falling asleep in the airport um, right before our spirit flight home, nothing like never. that. No. Never sleeping in a bathtub when I came to visit you at St. Patrick's Day. Our other friends, Courtney and Erica, we all split a hotel room and... Um, they passed out in the bed. So I was, I'm bougie about where I sleep. I will say that I, I have weird fears and anxieties and I just want to be in a comfortable bed in a safe environment. I feel like there was probably a couch or something, but for dramatic effect, it was like, I'm just going to go sleep in the tub. Probably. Yeah. That seems about, yeah. God, I was so spoiled without even knowing it at that age my husband will probably say I still am but I've made <laughs> I have come a long way thank god that we've come a long way I mean speaking for myself I look back and it's just it's embarrassing yeah definitely I mean especially with just like the um cultural shift and thank god it's happening but like we never had to examine anything within ourselves before we were 20 and maybe yeah. that's just like I think that's pretty know. normal. I mean, it's embarrassing. Know, you see, like the Gen Z era going out and protesting and I'm, but they've like, grown Whoever. up in this. We didn't have anything like that going on at the time. That's true. We were just sheltered Johnson County. Yeah. Just like the ignorance of that age, like when we were that age, um, like back. So back during those times and like prior, like saying the R word was culturally acceptable in a lot of instances and I I'm embarrassed to admit that like I used that as a normal part of my vocabulary and Britain literally knocked this sh knocked that shit out of me <laughs> um so quick but I'm so grateful because that was you know like that's such ugly language and I look back and it's I hate that I ever mm. talked like that um so I think sometimes it's it's good to learn like lessons the hard way or yeah. you know gotta do better learn and do better totally I think that's probably 
the one major aspect of my life that started from an early age that helped me kind of transition through understanding other opinions and voices besides my own, just because I have grown up with a brother who is disabled. And every time I talk about it, I get teared up. Oh, well, he's, he's just the sweetest. He's the best person ever. And he just made me understand everyone's different from a very, very early age. I was five when he was born. Mm. And so even though, yes, I was a bratty Johnson County girl <laughs> in the back of my head, I always had um, this one major topic that I was always passionate about. Um, and that was telling people not to use the R word for a synonym for stupid or um, yeah. just, yeah. And so it's probably my I have that story with a lot of people. A lot of people will say that. But I was the first one to tell them not to say those words. So I think it can be challenging to be like to take such a strong stand on something and like, you know, stand up to people who are your friends and be like, hey, that's not cool. Like that's something that I've always and I've always thought was like challenging because you're like, okay, well, what are, you know, especially when you're a kid, you think, well, what are people going to think of me and blah, blah, blah. But I feel like you always very unapologetically were like, no, like that's a hard line. And I just really respect that about you. And um, I think since I've known you, the way you have always been around your brother is so sweet. Like you, I don't even know how to explain it because I don't, I don't have another example of somebody who has like a younger sibling with a yeah. disability like that, but um, I've just always admired your relationship with AJ. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot, and um, it's we have a special connection and relationship, and we always have, and we always will. One day, my husband <laughs> and I will be his sole, sole caregiver at one point when God forbid the time comes that my parents pass on. Um, but I just I couldn't. I can't see him anywhere else with anyone else doing anything else than being with my family. And honestly, we call him uh, Chief AJ or he's the patrolman. So I know if it happens when my kids are in high school, they're in trouble because he <laughs> is on the rules at all times. If those kids come in late, he will be the one cracking down on their curfew. And oh my so gosh. Excited. He'll take some of the um, bad cop off of mom and dad. Yeah. So. And you'll need it when you have three boys in that household. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. It's going to be a lot. Yeah. Britain is pregnant uh, seven and a half months along. Almost eight. Yeah. Almost eight months. Yeah. Expecting yeah. her third boy. Yeah. It's um. everything's already loud and broken. So what's one loud <laughs> and broken? one more and then we're done like it is I'm never this praise anyone who loves pregnancy but it it ain't me and I am I'm I'm done I loved pregnancy I don't know how I couldn't do twins but I don't know how you did it but if it happened you'd do it my the way my body feels now like I am done I am ready (laughs) well and it's you know have to mention too that your husband is six eight eight I was gonna say six seven and you're you birth very large children yes I am five three and he's six eight and I have no torso and um, I've had a 10 pounder eight and a half and this one is measuring three weeks ahead so Britain what do you think why have we stayed friends for 13 years 
Because I feel like, you know, as you, as you grow and like become adults and, you know, get married, have kids, yada, yada, things change. And like a lot of people fall out of touch. And yeah. I just think it's it's pretty unique that our group of friends, especially because we're all kind of at different stages in life, have remained friends. And what like, what do you think is the reason for that? I think we all truly just want the best for each other and our world. Um and so we don't really have any competing moral aspects, I think, that sometimes cuts people off, which I wish people would talk through it instead of that. But it is what it is. Um, I think we are always down to have a good time. And so if, there, if there's a reason, we will be there. And then it doesn't hurt that we all kind of live in different places. So sometimes it's fun to just get away from our current lives and go be in our be in Miami. <laughs> again with um no judgment or just around people who love you and want to have a good time and and so now it's I think not really needing a break from your current life but just knowing there's a group of people who love you and support you that you don't get to see all the time mm-hmm. is think why it never has like broken off from mm-hmm. that yeah I think the no judgment thing is a big part of it I think when you go through those like in you know now embarrassing days of early college when you're trying to figure things out trying to figure out who you are making a lot of mistakes you're you know doing and saying things that are just like embarrassing (laughs) I think since we went through that together and we were all away from home for the most part you know different um distances but we were all away from home and we kind of only had each other and so I think we forged like a bond that um that'll last. And like I said, I think you hit the nail on the head with the no judgment thing. I think that's big. Um, Because we can always kind of, like, we've, we've seen each other through different phases. And so it's like, we kind of know what to expect. But we're also open to the changes that each of us have gone through. And I think just seeing each other come into their own and becoming who they were meant to be. And I think it's really special to be a part of. a friendship that we get to witness and add like support each other on. I think that's, that's kind of rare. And I think it's really sweet that we have that in our corner. So yeah, this little segment here will probably make Courtney cry again. <laughs> Courtney, are you crying? <laughs> you. Um, Was it your 21st birthday or your bachelorette party where we had the stripper on the, on the party bus? <laughs> That would be the bachelorette. So Britain, uh, wasn't it your sister who got the stripper? Yeah, it was the same stripper that was at her bachelorette. That's right. Like five years prior. And so she got payback <laughs> and got the same one. Uh, Male stripper, we should clarify. Your connection. Oh my God. <laughs> so he um, he pulls up to, so we, we parked the, well, not we, the driver parks the party bus in a, like a Home Depot parking lot, I think. And we're <laughs> for this stripper. And um, someone pulls up in a Jeep Liberty and like parks a few spaces away. And we're like, is that him? Is that going to be him? <laughs> and this guy gets out. And like, I kind of, I kind of thought I recognized him when he got out of the car. And then he comes on the bus. And I was like, oh my God, I went to high school with him. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one with the weird connection though. That's right. He was in one of my other friend's math class in college. Currently. That's right. Yeah, so we're sitting there like, oh my god, so <laughs> no, this guy. Yeah, um, my grandma loved it. 
<laughs> grandma, if you're listening, grandma was good memes. Love, yeah. He, love you, grandma. He was a very aggressive stripper. He um shoved some hands <laughs> down his pants. I stayed away a little bit because I was like, "This is weird." I know you. Oh man, that's that's hilarious. And then the most recent trip that we all took together was a little over a year ago. We all went to Miami for Courtney's 30th birthday party. So it was the last day of the trip. And Miami is a whole other beast. Like people do things different in Miami. Like like you go out and you stay out until 7 a.m. And that's the norm. Yeah. I tried to hang. I couldn't hang anymore. I couldn't hang either. Well, so we we made the poor decision to do the yacht on Sunday, which was the final day of the trip, and also the day that Britt and Callie and I were flying home later that evening. So we're on this yacht, and it's just us. It didn't really turn we're up. Finally, getting we finally were starting to get there and rally. We we got we got there. I have some photos to prove. Mm-hmm. Not, till after, not till after. Not till after. Yes. I thought we came straight back after. Like they were like, we need to get the F no. off this water. No. I remember I was on the back of the boat and <laughs> the we see the Coast Guard and they start kind of following us. Like they you would if you were getting pulled over. Like they're kind of like checking things out. Yeah, they finally started flashing their lights and then I remember the captain like running upstairs and <laughs> don't know. I we're like, remember that. We were like, what is going on? And the um she was like trying to keep us calm, but you could see it in her eyes that she was like, Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> and so honestly, my first thought was like, okay, are we smuggling drugs for these people and we don't even know it? Like, and who knows? I don't because they once they finally pulled us over and came on the boat, they were looking for something. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't find anything that we, that know, we know of. But then, yeah, after that, we they left. Also, there was a really hot Coast Guard. <laughs> I know we were like pretending like, oh, Courtney, we got you. Oh, yes. Which is so bad of us. We would have been so mad if dudes would have done that to one of us. Like the fact that <laughs> degrading him at his job is that, that that's, he was a okay. good sport. He was a good sport. I think he liked the attention a little bit. So that made so me too. feel a little better about it. And his, but the I'm other thing was his, lie. his boss was the other guy on the boat with us. Yes. Yeah. And you know, you're getting old when I thought that one was more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me too. The other, the young one looked like a baby. Yeah. And the other one's like a daddy. It was like, yeah, <laughs> he was a daddy. Okay. He, was. he probably was. And I'm a mom. So I'm going to stop talking. Yeah. And a wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And a wife. I love you. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what I, from my my experience of that was they got on board and, you know, they were kind of playing along with our bullshit and being good sports. And like, we were asking them stupid questions and a little, cause we were kind of tipsy and that just like, I was like, Oh, it's on. So I just started drinking more and um, (laughs) became a bit inebriated. 
And then what I remember is after they finally left, because they were on there for a long time. Um, I they think- were. And it makes me wonder if they were like just being nice to us because they didn't want to escalate the situation and potentially something harm us for just oh, being. That's kind of scary to think that. about. I know. But then the fact that we showed back up at the dock and there were yeah, police more. waiting yeah. for them. That was my sign that like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have been on that boat. And we're going to get out of here now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, the I think the ride back, they had gotten off the boat back onto their police boat. Yeah. And that's when like we were dancing on the back of the boat and like, you know, okay. yeah. But it, I think it was just like the drive back, but it just seemed longer. So yeah, good times in Miami. Um. <laughs> And that's all we're going to say about that. Okay, so on to more serious business. Um, so Britton is a photographer, uh, Britton Elizabeth Studios. She's been doing photography since you were, what, like 16? Yeah, I started in high school. My first wedding I ever shot, I was still in high school. And I think I charged $200. That's amazing. <laughs> I edited the photos in this like online, like, just website. I don't know if you remember, it was called Pick Monkey or Picnic. Yeah. So it was that, that I first started editing stuff in before I knew anything about like editing softwares and such, but it was, um, I mean, I'm so thankful that people trusted me at that point. I, I like hate saying like, Oh man, <laughs> those photos, because that, I know. that is someone's, that is someone's wedding photos. And, but and they got I the did, hell of a deal. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tried my hardest and I did the best. I thought they were great at the time. I am like, whoa, I am fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it all is, all is living and learning and it all led to where I'm at now. So yeah, I appreciate everyone who let me ever take their photos. Right. Starting out. So now I would call myself a portrait and wedding photographer, mainly specialize if you will in weddings um but as I've gotten older and become a mom and everything I kind of do a little bit of it all but weddings is what I pretty much market along with boudoir and just regular portraits um family portraits and such I love doing weddings that's like where my passion is like just seeing the different love dynamics between two different people and how wedding days are really very similar, but like so different for every couple. Um, and just being a part of that story and just like capturing their love. And not even that, like I tell people like now when I have consults, like my main thing is like, yes, you deserve to have beautiful wedding photos and know like, oh, hot damn, we looked good. But like the intimate moments between like the bride and mom getting ready and squeezing dad's arm before you walk down the aisle or just a funny picture with grandma dancing on the dance floor. Like those little moments now that I'm a mom means so much to me and what I really strive to capture because we're not always going to have those people around us and being able to freeze a moment in time for a client is like, that's what I do, why I do what I do and why I love what I do. My style and just the way I capture weddings has definitely changed since I became a mother. Um, Everything used to have to be perfect with the couple. 
And if I captured anything else along the way, amazing. But like the bride's hair had to be perfect, the bride's dress. And yes, I still strive to make sure that they look good. I don't want it to sound like I'm just like, oh, a few, good luck. Um, But now it's like those different dynamics, the different love between everyone on a wedding day um, matter a lot to me as a mother, because I know one day that's going to be me. And I don't know, just him going to that next chapter is going to be really emotional. And I didn't know or understand that before I had children. And so, yeah, it definitely has changed my perspective and, and the way that I capture the day. Yeah. I, um, briefly did weddings. It, It wasn't for me, but I still do, um, like portraits and family sessions and things like that. And I, definitely feel that way about the family sessions that I do. I mean, I remember, it sounds so bad, but like not having much patience for newborns. Yeah, totally. Which is like, sounds so horrible. But newborns uh, are, uh, yeah, you have to be. Well, but I just, you know, I, I was, I was intent on getting the pretty pictures, um, for the client, but also like to show like, you know, on social media, like, oh, I, you know, show off beautiful yeah. photos. And then once you have your own kids, I, I feel like I'm so much more patient. I'm better with the moms. I know, you know, I'm like able to reassure them like, hey, you do what you need to do throughout this session. If the baby's crying, needs to be fed, like, don't worry about yeah. me. Like, you do your thing. And it's just, it's completely shifted my perspective on the way that I approach them. And I think I'm a lot better at doing it too, because I have yeah, that understanding. Yeah. As a mom now, you know, it's not always about the perfectly posed photo. It's just documenting this phase of life. Yeah. And so that helps alone, just knowing you're, if the baby wants to cry the whole session, that's just where baby's at. And you're going to look at those photos in 50 years and laugh. So, I know. I mean, well, like when you did our photos last year, the kids were like a year and a half old and Winslow was not having it. And she had her pacifier and her sippy cup and like, I don't know, goldfish probably. And um, the like those things were in some of the photos. And, you know, the perfectionist photographer in me is like, oh, like get those things out. But then it's so it's yeah. part of that phase of yeah. like, you know, and so and the photos were, of course, great. And um I and mean, that, I now you have those photos. Yeah, now you have those photos of her in that stage, and it's preserved forever. And you get to remember that it'll spark an emotion and feeling within you than just if it was a perfectly posed Staged. and edited images. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, my favorite sessions too are the ones where like the parents are able to kind of relax, you know, not worry about how their kids are behaving and stuff. It's like just let them be kids, you know. Just you know, don't don't worry about it because if you're like stressed, then that translates. And the best is when everybody's just like just let it go. What are your thoughts on Instagram and social media as part of a business strategy? Like, how has that been a part of? you like running your business and you love it. Do you hate it? Yeah. What's your relationship? So it's really, <laughs> I actually wrote down some notes on this one because I was like, I like, I haven't really thought about it until you put this in our <clears throat> Google doc and I had to kind of think about it, but in the 
12 plus years that I've been doing this, social media has drastically changed. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of seen it go from not knowing how to utilize it at all. Um, just posting very grainy edited on Instagram photos of you and your friends to this whole social content creator mega beast that it's become. Um, So it's really weird actually seeing the timeline of how social media and social content has changed over just the last decade alone. But when I first started, it was almost weird to post your professional photos on Instagram. It was actually weird. I remember feeling awkward starting my professional Instagram. I loved social media because I got in at a great time where it was absolutely free. It made my business skyrocket and I utilized it in a way that hadn't really been done before, which seems insane now. Like Mm -hmm. now it's like, oh, you were OG Instagram creator. Yeah, exactly. But but now I'm not going to lie to be an artist and be relevant you have to be a content creator. And that's, yes, I create content, but I create art. And so to feel like you have to make all these reels and stories and constantly be engaged with your followers and viewers, and it's become this huge thing that honestly adds a a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Um, when the core of the photographer is wanting to just be an artist and get your passion out there in an outlet form um, and having the only way you get views or business now is creating these insane reels. And, um, and the people who are good at them, congrats, like you make beautiful work, but it's it's a different skill. It's like a whole other skill set. Totally. It's, it's you can't just be a photographer. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like that just for photographers. It's anyone like you make, you blow glass for a living. Like you can't just, (laughs) that can't be just what you do. You have to be able to market, make production of the videos and put it all together and buy lighting. Like it just, it's snowballed into this huge thing and it's actually kind of exhausting. I love, I love what I do, but that aspect of it is, is hard um, to the point where I finally was like, I just, I, I'm going to do what I can do. If I can't keep up, I can't keep up. And that's okay. Like your family is more important. Your time off of your cell phone Mm -hmm. is more important. Um, And finally creating that boundary for yourself instead of just feeling completely overwhelmed with this new set of guidelines to be relevant actually feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to succumb to it. Um, I hate the, I hate the thought of like the algorithm, the algorithm, like dictating what you do on there. Like it feels like I know that I need to take a break and step away when I'm like, what would the algorithm like? It's like, that's so, you know, that's so, ew. I I just don't like that. I, cause then it's like, you're not putting your work out there because you think it's great. You're in your mind 
you know, sifting through things and being like, well, what's going to work for the algorithm or what's going to work for the platform? And it's become very limiting and time consuming. So time consuming. So boundaries are important. You're the sole provider for your family um, and your husband stays home with the boys. So do you like, obviously that's a lot of stress on somebody to be you know, the sole provider for a household, but um, does, does like social media pressure and, you know, cause that was like you said, when you first got started, that was a big tool that got your business up and going. And, you know, a lot of like, we rely on that to bring in new business. So does that ever, do you ever worry about that? Like, okay, if, Um, like I'm not doing what the algorithm wants or whatever on social media. Like, is that going to impact my income and my family? It did really bother me for a long time. And I was trying to keep up with the Joneses, if you will. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I've been in the business long enough where a big portion of my business is from word of mouth. Um, and that's, that's really I'm very blessed that I don't have to rely. Like if I was starting out right now in photography, I I feel really bad for for those artists because it's it'd be really hard to break into the industry right now. Um, but as the sole provider of my family, it it did definitely take a toll on part of my mental health as well. Um, all this stuff like kind of like at a peak came together for me um, when I had my biggest breakdown if you will um and a lot of it had to do with that just keeping up with the joneses like i said and um trying to feed this beast that i technically didn't even have to um yeah but i i will say as the sole provider of my family there is a lot of stress of when that will go away because i'm not keep I'm not doing it. Like I try, I will post a reel. If it's easy, I will put something out there. Um, if it doesn't take too much time or energy for me, but like, I know at some point I will become irrelevant. I'm getting older. I mean, even though that seems insane at saying that at 31, most of the photographers now are in their early twenties. Like I was when I started and it, their new ways and creativity. It's beautiful what they're creating. And I, I know eventually that's, it will kind of um, push me out if I don't leave before that, which I may. Um, But yeah, it it definitely, but I, I also, I don't know. I just, I just keep going. Like you just keep pushing yourself. And um, that's one thing I've learned through my own mental health uh, journey is sometimes you just, you just keep pushing on and it is what it is. Well, one thing too, with photography, I mean, and granted your, your main bread and butter is uh wedding photography, but with photography in general, what I've found to be nice is that at least for the next, you know, 10, 20 years, there's always going to be things that people our age need photos for. So we kind of like, yeah. you know, can, age along with our clientele a bit like people who I used to do weddings for or like couple sessions for I'm now doing family sessions for and you know that that you know so it's kind of nice but um so I do I want to talk about mental health in terms of the creative burnout that you've experienced is it is it mostly with social media or have you experienced creative burnout just in like photography itself so I think in any career if you've you've been in it for a long time it's hard to 
sometimes keep up that passion and um, always be on and always be creating. Um, I think the main struggle of creative burnout or the main reason for creative burnout would be underpaid and overworked. Um, We all get to a point in our career, there's usually a big one. Like when you are going from starting out um, as an artist and then you finally kind of get your name out there and jobs start rolling in and you start making a decent amount of money. And so you're like, I got to keep going, keep hammering, keep going, fitting all these people in. Um, now it's fast forward two years later, you're charging the same amount, working your ass off. And now you're wondering why. Um, I remember I think- that phase for you. I remember yeah. that, Britain. Like, how you, many times a year were you doing? Um, at like, one point, I got up to like thirty-eight weddings in a year, um, and it took me a long time to realize that I can do less, charge more, make the same amount, work smarter, not harder, and yeah. that's it's a really scary step in your business when you get there. Because you're working with a different, you're changing your clientele, basically, when you change your pricing structure. And that can be scary because you've worked with so many amazing people. And now you don't want to say, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to afford me anymore. But you're really putting your own business livelihood at risk if you don't evolve yourself. Well, and one Um, thing about wedding photography, because I I know my first inclination is to be like, okay, 38 weddings a year, that's approximately three a month. Like that doesn't sound so bad. But with wedding photography, it's clustered in the spring and the fall mostly. So you're doing like at your max, how many like in June, like how many weddings a month do you think you did at your height? I know the worst in Kansas is September and October. And I would do easily... 10 to 12 weddings um, within those two months, Uh, lots of double headers, which is Friday, Saturdays. Um, And then God, you even go into COVID when everyone rescheduled and then having to do all of those makeups and sometimes triple headers um, that that was hard. But I think the main thing is your work was being valued by so many others and it felt so good, but you didn't value your own work enough to raise your prices. Um, And so that basically goes from it being a creative outlet to it being this, yeah, you don't want it to stop. And you think that if you raise your prices, you're not going to make anything anymore. Um, And it's, it's not true. Sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith. And I'm lucky that my husband has always supported me in my business. And this was even before I was the sole provider back when I was really just getting my feet off the ground. Um, when we first met, I wasn't full time as a photographer. He was the one who was like, you need to put your head in this and, and I will support you and we'll get this off the ground and running. And I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if I would have done that if it wasn't for him believing in me. Like it just took one person to be like, you can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, you can do this full time. And, and he was that person, but, um, 
valuing yourself. And that sometimes just comes with age, like learning what your own worth is um, and your time, what your time is worth, your time away from your family. Like there's a foot out the door price for me now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that when I was younger and naive. So, so um, was it uh, 20, what year was it that you had your breakdown? Um, it was early 2021. What led up to it? Do you think? So at this point I had just had my second child. Um, he was about a year old, a year and a half. And I had postpartum depression with my first one. Um, even though I didn't really know that's what it was. Um, you know, at this time it was still like, Oh, I just had the really bad baby blues. I just was harder transitioning into motherhood than some other people. Um, it wasn't like you have postpartum depression, here's help, here's solutions. It was just like kind of rolling around in my head that I, I didn't, couldn't figure out why I wasn't happy. Um, with Mm. the second one, I was actually great for nine months. I was like, great. I didn't get it this time around. Um, I'm thriving in motherhood. And then things started to happen to me, my family and nothing insane but like when they add up looking back now it's like okay it makes sense why my mind was finally like I'm done (laughs) I'm done I'm to ask for help um it's wild to me how those things can like slowly build up and you can convince yourself without thinking you're convincing yourself that things are fine and then you look back and you're like oh my god yeah so we um Obviously, COVID was in 2020, and uh, being the sole provider at that time, and no weddings happening, we lost all of our income. Um, And so that was just a big new navigation journey of what do we do? Yeah. Um, And then we had a house fire, uh, and that was that was pretty hard. Um, And then on top of that, I developed postpartum late postpartum depression and if I'm being completely honest at that time we had our biggest marital spat um so things were kind of difficult in our marriage at that time and thank god we've been able to walk work through it and figure everything out um but it was definitely just all of those things that like alone you could probably work through but like all of them Mm. at the same time I, I finally had to ask for help. I could no longer provide solutions for myself. And I needed, I finally admitted that I needed to go and seek help. And it was really scary. And it's probably one of the hardest things that I've done. Um, But I went to a psychiatric facility and went in, my husband and I went in together and basically went and asked for resources that I had been seeing a therapist, wasn't working. I was already on antidepressants. They weren't working. Like what's the next step once you have done everything for yourself that they tell you to do. Right. Um, I was starting to get negative thoughts. Um, and that scared me that had never happened before thoughts of hurting myself or what if, what if I could just go for a drive and hit a tree and, get to go be in a hospital for a month because I was fine. I didn't die. I didn't want to die. I just wanted a break. Yeah. I just needed. And so I was like, 
the fact that I was thinking that like self-harming myself just so I could have a a break. Yeah. That started to scare me. Um, And so I, I am proud of myself that I finally was like, no, this isn't okay. You shouldn't be thinking about this kind of thing. Um, you, you need to ask for help and you deserve it. Your family deserves it. Um, and so we went in, into the, the facility to ask for some resources. And I was basically thinking at this point, okay, I just want an outpatient experience of like, hey, come in once a week for a group meeting or here's, I don't know what I was expecting. Um, it sure wasn't what, what happened. Is, um, and I want to, before I say my story with the psychiatric facility, I want to say that everyone's mental health journey is very different and everyone deserves to do what they need to do to better themselves because they deserve it. And if that is going into one of these facilities, I urge you to do it if it will help you. Um, I don't want this to negatively impact a health journey. I want this to help. Um, and so that kind of scares me of telling this story because I don't I don't ever want to diminish or demean these types of that's I'm glad that you reasons. said that. <clears throat> I think that's important to say because I think it's easy to hear somebody's experience and be like, oh, that's what would happen to me if blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And we we are all so different. And like another example of that is psychiatric medication. You know, some people have yeah. had really bad experiences with that. And that scares off a lot of people. And like, I think you and I are both people who've had really good experiences with psychiatric medication. And it's made a bit, big impact. So I think, yeah. thank you for well, saying I've that. actually, I've had, I've had both. So Me too. Me too. Like I said, I was on an antidepressant already going in asking for resources because I didn't know what else to do. I thought I had done it all. Um, and so I get there and they start talking to my husband and I and um, telling them what's been going on, how I've been feeling. At one point, they asked if um, I had a firearm in my house. And we said yes. Uh, at that point, we did. We don't anymore. Um, but it was locked up in a safe. We didn't even own ammo. (laughs) It was just there as going back into my, I've always had pretty bad anxiety and fears. And so at some point we thought that would help. So they asked if there was a firearm in my home and I said, yes. So I was being honest. Um, but they asked if I ever, felt like I would use it or self-harm. And I said, no, absolutely not. Um, They asked more questions down the line. They asked if I ever have bad thoughts about hurting myself. I told them the car story. (laughs) And at this point, um, I told them I, I didn't want to die. I just wanted a break. Um, but self-harm in my head was the way to get there. And I was scared of what the next thought after that would be. And if that would be death and that scared me enough to go ask for help after that, they told me they wanted to take me back and, um, do some further evaluations with just me alone. 
um, and that I could leave at any time. And so I said bye to my husband. I was like, okay, I looking back now, I I shouldn't have gone back there, but like, I was just in such a, a bad place that I was like, okay, they're going to help me. When you trust them, they're medical yeah. professionals, you trust them. Yeah. And so I go back, um, they start asking me all these questions and, um, this is the one part of the story that I, I hate kind of saying because it does put a negative light, but they're the place they took me to. Um, it was kind of scary. It was, I don't know how to say this without sound. Like I really do not want to demean anyone helping themselves, but there were people that were just kind of zombie-like crying in corners. It was very cold. Um, It felt more like a jail. And I started to freak out and I was like, I don't, want to be here. Um, this isn't going to help me. This is going to negatively impact me. And so I told them that I, I wanted to leave. Um, and at that point they told me that I was now placed under a 72 hour psychiatric hold because I am on suicide watch. Um, when I asked them why, cause I wasn't suicidal. I was just there to get resources <laughs> They told me it's because I said, I think about self-harm and there's a firearm in my house. And so obviously as the whole thing spiraled, I'm now like hyperventilating. I'm freaking out. I call my husband. I call my dad. They're trying to get me out um, saying they lied and manipulated to get my money and insurance to be in the facility. And if I'm being honest, it it might have been the one thing I actually needed though. Um, not necessarily being in there, but the fire it lit under my ass of like, no, this is not how we treat people. This is not how I'm going to allow myself to be treated. Um, and I started advocating for myself that I don't need to be here. This is going to hinder my health, not make it better. And I think having to put that fight for myself back in me lit something I didn't know was still there. And that's that I loved myself. I cared for myself enough to keep pushing and advocate for, for myself. (laughs) Sorry, I'm getting emotional, but it, so yes, it was a very bizarre and hard experience but I left there once I got out <laughs> and my, my dad and husband raised hell and high I'm water. Sure. I'm <laughs> sure. And so I owe them a lot of thanks as well, but it was, it's what I needed to know that I can do this. I can fight through whatever thought I'm having. And I think just knowing that my mind hadn't completely checked out. I was still there. I was still able to fight. And, and that's what I did. And it comes to find out later, I was on the wrong medication for myself. I was on the wrong mixture of medication and um, tried different medications from that point on and things got better. I started focusing more on um, 
the little things that I was happy with myself and my family. Uh, I started journaling and um, just really understanding that I, I could make a difference in my own life. And I know that that's, I feel like it's like cliche because sometimes I understand you get to the point where you can't do that for yourself and you need the help. And I will always be the first person to say, go get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want people to know that they can advocate for themselves too. And if someone puts you in a situation that you don't feel right about, or you know, isn't okay, fight for yourself. Um, What's scary is to think about the people who don't, who maybe that spark is extinguished at the time and they don't have it in them to be like, no, this is not okay for me. Like, I don't feel right about this. Get me out of here. You know, it's scary to think about what happens. And that's in any health situation, you know, when you're either you don't advocate for yourself for a number of reasons or you're beyond the point of being able to advocate for yourself. That's where Mm -hmm. it gets really scary. No, you I know, it's like if you, hadn't, if you hadn't been able to do that for yourself, like it's scary it to makes think. me wonder. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like the people that that were in there and getting the help, like how many were forced and held without like with <laughs> without their will um, yeah. and how many that could have hindered their journey instead of helped. Um, that yeah. is scary. And I think at some point too, if like, maybe they did try to advocate for themselves. I don't know. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's a tough line to, um, it to is, walk. it is, but I think it's important because- also to like highlight stories like yours, because we know that our healthcare system is messed up in a lot of ways. And yeah. I mean, we have literally, to they held me for a, yeah, they held me for a paycheck. And that is not what our health care should be or mental, anything physical. Like we are not just paychecks. We are people that want to better their lives and their families' lives and be healthy. And if the only help we're getting is thinking of us as just a number and more Mm -hmm. money, it's just, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It honestly, it's like a something you see in a movie. Like, I didn't even know that 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 kind of like that's something you would see in a movie script. I didn't know that that. And I've heard your story, um, not to that full extent, but um, you don't yeah, you don't know sad. that things like that happen in real life unless people like you share about it. So it's true. And honestly, I didn't research anything before I went. I should have other people have similar stories to me. Um, who went to the same facility. Um, But at that time, you're just so desperate to feel better that you don't take the time to research where you're going to get help. Well, I think it goes back to maybe maybe it's misguided, but I think we do have kind of an inherent trust in healthcare professionals and our healthcare system, you know, that it's there to take care of us and then it'll do what it's supposed to do. And um, it's a reminder that we can't just like blindly trust. You gotta, you all, you have to be looking out for yourself and advocate for yourself. What is, I mean, I know you've had not a similar story, but similar depression and anxiety. How have you felt like you've come not overcome it in sorts, but hoped. Yeah. You feel like you've done with that. So I've been fortunate 
And well, what's interesting, and it'll, I'm curious to see if you relate to this. I had particularly anxiety my whole life, um, but I never knew what to call it until I was in my 20s, like mid 20s. I just I've said this before, like I just thought I was weird. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> I thought I was that. like socially inept. Um and maybe I am a little bit, but but <laughs> my my social skills have increased tenfold since I've gotten treatment for anxiety and depression. It's wild. And I've also said this before. I used to think that I hated other people like that. I aside from my core group that I just like didn't like people and people sucked. Yeah. And yeah. Um, come to find out that was my poor mental health lying to me about, you know, what I thought people thought of me and you know, how I like perceived other people. And so it goes beyond like just the, what you think anxiety or depression looks like. It lies to you in ways that you maybe wouldn't expect. So I, I think I've always had mental health issues, didn't always know what to call them. But I've been lucky in that when I was like 27, I started seeing a therapist and she was a really good fit. And um, she helped me immensely through so much stuff um, and then also helped me in the process of getting psychiatric medication. And I also got lucky with my um, psychiatrist. He's somebody that I trust. He's he's a little um, unorthodox, but <laughs> kind of like an interesting character. But uh, he does his job well and since probably... 2020, which is um, sort of ironic to say because that was like the start of the pandemic. But since 2020, my mental health has been the best that it's ever been. And um, so I feel like I'm in a really good place right now um, as far yeah. as my mental health management. And um, yeah, so I, but I think always in the back of my mind is like, is there going to be a point where my medication no longer works? And you know what then? And it's always like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's scary to think about running out of options and not being able to get help or help yourself um, at a certain point because I know that I don't want to go back, which I think I've learned so much that even if I felt my mental health slipping, I, I know enough now that I wouldn't um, slide back as far as I was. I might slide back, but not like yeah. as far as I was at certain points in the past. No, I I completely agree with you. That's my biggest fear with this third child is going through the whole postpartum depression again, um, the process over. And I do have coping mechanisms. I know that my stressors lead to anxiety and my anxiety leads to, leads to my depression. And so if I can alleviate those steps um, before it gets to the next one, if I can relieve my stress or can relieve my anxiety, then it won't snowball into this huge depression um, that's hard to get out of. Uh, yeah. But it is in the back of my mind. It's my biggest fear is that, is this fair to be doing to my other children to potentially slide into a negative space when I am in such a good place right now to have another child and um, goes into mom guilt that we mm -hmm. all feel. Um, but I know my husband and I have been through worse and we can get through it. And as long as I know my self value and 
know how to cope that I, I I'll figure it out. I've done it before and I'll do it again. I can, I can fight for myself again. I can fight for my family. And you're so much, you're so much better equipped now than you were at times in the past when you've gone through things, you know, you've got like, you've got tools in your belt that you didn't have before that you you know how to use. So I think, I think too, um, motherhood has been for me a big helper in my mental health. I was just thinking the other day how much more I value myself as a person, which I don't know, maybe that's like not (laughs) the right thing to say. I don't know. But um, like, I just feel I, you know, I know that they need me and I know that they love me. And it's just not that I as a person by myself am not enough, but it's just like additional reasons layered on top of just, you know, valuing yourself just for who you are. And then, you know, you add on top the role that you play in their lives. And it's like, I'm important to at least two, and in your case, three little people who need me. And so it Mm -hmm. just, it's, it's kind of that, I think that fire it can be. And I'm not saying, I don't know. I also want to tread lightly on that because I'm not saying that, you know, if you're a parent and you're, you feel like you're not worth it or whatever, like, like I said earlier, your mental health can tell lies to you and it doesn't, you know, so I, I try to stay away from like generalizations when it comes to mental health because it's so nuanced and I would never motherhood in general. Yeah. And I would never want someone to think like, oh, I'm a bad parent because I don't see the value in like myself right now. You know, like there's just, just for me, it's been a, it's been a a good thing. And I think a helper as far as like my mental health goes. Yeah. I think you nailed it there. I've gone through every experience as a a mom feeling like I shouldn't even have kids. Um, I shouldn't be a mom to, okay, mommy needs her alone time. Cause if a mom's not happy, no one's happy. Like we've, we've gone through, through it all. And, um, I also think if you're at a place in motherhood where it's, it's hard because motherhood is hard. And if you feel as though you're not worthy of those little babies, you're wrong. You're, your mental health is lying, lying to you and yeah. um, you deserve the world. And if you're listening to this and you're in that place, um, reach out even to me, to Morgan. I mean, I think that we've gone through so much. Um, there's no judgment and I've felt it all. I understand. And one foot in front of the other day by day, hour by hour, <laughs> sometimes as a mom, minute by minute, really. I mean, <laughs> Just keep minute pushing. excruciating minutes yeah, at times. For real. <laughs> um, okay, so just to wrap up, I've got some questions for you. Fun ish yeah. questions. <laughs> um, what's your that favorite there? Yeah. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite thing about yourself? As we're talking about self love, and then like nothing comes, to <laughs> <mind>. <laughs> nothing comes to mind. <laughs> um, I would, I mean, probably just following all that up, resilience and just. Mm-hmm um perseverance being able to just keep to keep pushing um i also i feel as though i'm a safe place like if someone needed something that i come from a place of understanding and um unconditional love and feel like i could be a support 
beam or pillar that someone might need, but it's also someone probably has a completely different view. No, I agree. I agree. (laughs) What's, um, what's something that you appreciate in other people? Probably similar, like who I strive to be is what I admire in people that I view it in. So that would just be kindness and understanding and just feel welcomed and seen by people. If you can just naturally give off that presence, oh, I'm so jealous of that because I think you do. (laughs) Like you were talking about like the social anxiety. That's me first. Like when I first meet you, I feel like I'm not like arms wide open, like, come here. Mm. Like I definitely feel like I have a wall that I have to break down between meeting a stranger. And I wish I didn't have that within me. I wish it was just always like arms wide open. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love love that. What is a piece of advice that you would give a budding photographer? Know your worth. Know what your time is worth. And then also don't follow so many photographers on social media. Like I think, yeah, I think we all want inspiration and we want to feel that spark of oh, I want to recreate that. Or like, I want to do something similar, but sometimes it actually is doing the opposite. And you feel like an imposter syndrome where I'm never going to be that good, or I'm never going to have as many followers or, oh, I didn't get as many likes on my very similar image. And at the same time, if, if you don't have that to compare yourself to, then you get to just love your work unconditionally without comparing it to anyone else's. So I think it's very important to impose boundaries on social media and like notice how you're feeling when you look at something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you look at someone else's work. Doesn't spark joy. Unfollow. Um, What's something that you would tell 18 year old Britain if you could go back and whisper in her ear? Well, um, don't make naive comments about Morgan's life because it'll come back to haunt you 13 years she'll hang on to it (laughs) (laughs) um no I I think if I could really go back and say something that gets through to her 18 year old Britain it would be you're about to go on a roller coaster but you make it through and you do that for yourself and you are stronger than you're ever going to think it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And you, you can handle it. You can do this. Love it. Well, Britain, thank you so much for talking with me. I know it was um, maybe a little bit outside of your comfort zone, but I think you crushed it. And I'm just so glad that we got to do this. I think, I think the um, laughing is fun and people enjoy it. And if they don't, they're not our people. I don't know. I also, but seriously, thank I you. Laugh too, I laugh too much anyways. But then when we're together, I don't know why we can't control ourselves with laughing. So I think we did a pretty good job. I, I mean, so smart. but honestly, I just want to say to you before you sign off, though, is like, I'm so proud of you for creating this, this space. Um, you like I've told you before, you are very good with talking to people and saying things in a manner that deserve to be heard. And I'm proud of you. And I've seen how far you've come. And 
You are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I love you very much. I love you, too. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.